The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning, church. Man, it's great to see all of you, even on such a cloudy, rainy day. Cold. It's like the, you know, the bed feels so warm and comfortable. But you found Jesus more important and you're here. And if you stayed at home and you're watching, we love you too, just not as much. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Um, welcome. If you're new around here, and I know some of you are, uh, my name's Brian. I have the privilege of serving this church as a senior lead pastor, teaching pastor. Uh, and I'm, I'm really thankful that you're here. I hope that you will feel like you belong. Like that's, that's our main goal uh, on, on Sunday mornings is to create an environment where people feel like they belong to this family. And, uh, and so if you're just kicking the tires on this thing, we're, we welcome you. Make yourself at home. And uh, if, you, if you feel that sense of belonging and you want to get further involved down the road, uh, you can let us know, connect card and that kind of thing. But um, we're glad you're here. Uh, we got a lot going on this morning. So I just want to give you a couple of quick announcements before we get going with today's uh, sermon. First of all, uh, right after this gathering, we're having a little open house for the preschool. Some, I see some of our preschool staff on the back row. Can you just raise your hand? There's our wonderful, some of our wonderful staff from the preschool right there. Yep, they are, they are amazing. Um, so uh, we have the privilege of, of helping operate this preschool um, that, that meets a great need in our community and also teaches kids from a young age about Jesus. And uh, they've got spots available for the winter spring term. And so we, what we want to do is just create awareness. Uh, you, you and your family may not have need of the preschool services, but you may work with someone or have a neighbor or a family member who does. So uh, right after the gathering, you're going to be able to do like a walkthrough tour, talk to some of the staff. We got a little handout for you just to give you the information on the preschool. And I just hope that you'll hold on to that. And, and as you're having conversations with people along the way, you might go, oh, you know what? I know about a great preschool you can send your kid to and that you'll uh, talk it up for us. So um, we'd love for you to do that and just know what Jesus is doing over there. It's like 10 yards away, right? It's really close to this building and we have the privilege of, of serving with them and want you to know more about it. Uh, secondly, tonight, uh, 6, 5.30 p.m., 5.30 p.m., cookies and carols, emphasis on the cookies that you will bring. That's the point, okay? So we're going to gather up in the frame building. Uh, it'll, we'll kind of be in the round. We'll sing together, uh, but the cookies will have like wassail, if you know what that is. It's a spiced cider. It's delicious. We're going to have that. We will provide that, but we're asking you to bring cookies. We'll do some cookie eating, and then we'll sing together and uh, hope that you can make that 5.30 this evening. Um, I think that's it. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Um, one, I guess one more thing while you're turning there. Uh, if you are not already in the rhythm of reading the Bible regularly, uh, I want to commend to you this five-day week Bible reading plan. I printed a bunch of these out, and they'll be at the back tables on your way out. Uh, some of you have great rhythms, and that's great, but some of you don't, and you don't even know where to start. And I've been using this particular plan for the last three years, and uh, it gets through the entire Bible in, in just five days a week. And that sounds like a lot, but it's really not. It's like maybe 15 to 20 minutes of reading uh, a day. 
uh, and if you miss a day, guess what? There's seven days you only have to read for five. So it's a really easy plan and uh, I have found great value to it. So I wanna commend this to you and uh, you can pick one of these up on your way out the door if you want one, but um, we're really gonna be focusing, I would like us to focus on getting those rhythms established if we don't already have them for 2024 uh, because we can't really know Christ unless we read his word. So let's be people of the book, okay? All right, Mark chapter two. Uh, We're in week two of Advent, as you can see. Uh, It's a season of commemoration and anticipation. We're looking back on the first arrival of Jesus. We're looking forward to the second arrival of Jesus when he's gonna make all things new. And what we decided to do for this series was to take a few of the places, I believe there's seven, uh, where Jesus specifically and personally tells us why he came to the earth. I have come for this reason. So we're taking one from each gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's how we're spending Advent, is looking at the reasons that Jesus himself says that he came. Last week, we looked at the gospel of Matthew. We saw that Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, meaning he came to fill up or to fill full the scriptures so that when you're reading the scriptures next year, okay, what you'll see is that Jesus, in some sense, is the period to every sentence. He's the exclamation point at the end of every promise. And the more that we dive into the word, the more that we see the beauty of Jesus and the more that we revel in him and love him. This week, we're looking at Mark's gospel, and we're going to look at an encounter with a man named Levi, also known as Matthew, who is going to become one of Jesus's first disciples. So join me in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 13 and just read to 17. And he, that's Jesus, went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he, that's Jesus, reclined at table in his, that's Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and with tax collectors, said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to be gathered with your people this morning. Thank you for every soul in this room um, and, and all those who will hear this later or who are watching online. We are so grateful for all that you are doing here at Steadfast in us and through us for your glory and for the good of this city. And Lord, as we look at this passage, I know for many it's probably very familiar, it's very simple, and yet I believe it's, it's very profound as well. And so as we, as we look at these words, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just um, help us to see the beauty and glory of Jesus in this passage, that you would help us to see ourselves in this passage, that we might have a deeper understanding of your love and mercy for us, a deeper faith and greater trust in you. Um, And Lord, that you would fill us with joy 
in your presence as we understand our belonging to you. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. I pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Okay, so I'm I'm just going to point out, we're going to take this like we did last week, just in two kind of movements, two parts. Uh, The first one here is verses 13 and 14, and I want you to see, uh, I called this following and forsaking, following and forsaking. Well, let's reread them really quickly. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, Jesus had just begun his public ministry in the region of Capernaum. Uh, It's the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. If you, in fact, go back to Mark chapter 1, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the time uh, is fulfilled and, and repent and believe the gospel. Like this is what Jesus came to do is proclaim the gospel message. Well, he was preaching, he was healing, he was casting out demons. We see that in Mark chapters, ch- chapter one as well. And many people in the region were more concerned with Jesus' healings than they were with Jesus' teachings. And so Jesus left for a little while. He went elsewhere. He said, I've come to proclaim the gospel. And so he moves on. Well, now he's back. And it's safe to say in a small region like this, that after these things that Jesus had done, after his preaching with authority like no one had had before, uh, after his uh, healing of, of all kinds of people with diseases, after his casting out of demons, that Jesus was the talk of the town. That you couldn't go anywhere without people going, hey, uh, do you hear about Jesus? What do you think about this guy? Do you think he could be the one? And he, there's just a buzz going on about who Jesus could be. So here we see the text tells us he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he, and he kind of stops. He sees a, a little tax booth, and Levi's inside, and he looks right at him, and he just says these two words to Levi, follow me. And Levi does it. <laughs> now, a couple things you need to know about this scene, because on the surface, you're like, okay, what's the big deal about this? At this time, Rome ruled the world, and they were the occupying force in Judea. In Galilee, they they ruled everything, and they taxed everyone and everything in order to fund their empire. And so tax collection, now there were some taxes that the Romans collected themselves. There were other taxes that they uh, had locals help them collect. And so what they would do is, it was a bidding system. You, the highest bidder, won the opportunity to collect taxes for Rome. So you would say, I think I can collect this amount. And if they liked your number, you won the bid. You had to pay that sum up front to Rome. And then the rest of the year, you collected taxes to pay yourself back. But you can already see if, you're, if you are keen that this system was rife for corruption. Because if you wanted to make a profit, you charged more than the taxes in order to make some money off this thing. And there was no limit to what you could charge. And so tax collection was a corrupt business, much like it is today. And at least in the first century, taxation literally was theft. Now, here's the other reality. Levi is a tax collector, but he's also Jewish, which means this. He is employed by Rome to tax his own people, the Jews, 
so that the Roman government can continue to oppress his own people. In other words, Levi is a traitor. He works for the occupying force. And according to the Jews, a tax collector who was a Jew would have been expelled from the synagogue, not allowed in any longer. They were proclaimed unclean. They were disgraced by their families. They were disqualified as, from being witnesses in a court situation. And not only that, um, the rabbis gave permission for Jewish people to lie to tax collectors because tax collectors were considered thieves. So even though there's a commandment that says, do not lie, the rabbis were like, yeah, yeah, but that doesn't apply to tax collectors. You can lie to them without impunity or with impunity, whichever one it is, no consequences, okay? You even see in our passage, there's two categories of people. There's sinners and then there's tax collectors. Like it was a whole different category of sinner. These are the worst of the worst, these tax collectors. And so you remember last week, I, we were looking at um, Matthew chapter five and where Jesus says, you heard it said, but I say, remember some of those we looked at? Well, there's one in, in uh, Matthew 5.43 where it says, you've heard it said, love your enemy, but, or, sorry, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But that's not what actually the Bible says. That's how the Pharisees had reinterpreted the law. It was probably to apply to people like Levi, tax collectors. Lo love your neighbor, but hate tax collectors. That's okay with us, you see? Okay, so, so Levi has a lot stacked against him here. He's a traitor. He's disgraced. He's out of the synagogue. Now he's making a lot of money, but money can only buy you so much. So here's Jesus. Now, now picture the scene with me. Jesus is walking by. He's got his disciples. He's got a crowd. He's teaching them. This is my sanctified imagination, but perhaps one of his disciples, you know, they're rookies. They're new at this thing. Uh, they're walking by and they see the tax collector booth and somebody makes kind of a snide remark about tax collectors, you know, like he's the punchline of some joke. And Jesus stops and he turns back and he looks right at this tax collector's booth and he makes eye contact with Levi and he says, follow me. And Levi, I mean, we have no indication there was any hesitation on Levi's part at all. He packs up his stuff and he goes. He goes. Now, now this is one of those passages where I need more details. <laughs> you ever have that when you're reading the Bible and you're like, okay, I, tell me more. This isn't enough. He, he says, follow me, and he leaves. He follows him. But you're going, okay, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, um, here's how, when I read the scripture, this is kind of the, the, the framework that I work under. When I bump up on things like this, my mind immediately goes to what would cause a man like Levi to just get up and follow Jesus? What's, what's going on underneath the surface that would cause him to give up? Luke's gospel, the parallel account says he gave up everything and followed Jesus. So I'm going to do a little bit of speculation here, okay? This is not the revealed word of God. This is my opinion. But it's, it's trying to put a frame around why would this happen, okay? Here's a couple ideas. <clears throat> um, it makes me wonder. So, so think about this. Um, to be a tax collector was a chosen path. Like, he didn't just fall into it. It's not like it was bad luck that landed him in the tax collector booth. 
He had to willfully choose to do this. He paid money to become this, right? He, he said, this is what I want to do with my life. And he stepped into it willfully with, with desire, okay? And it was likely good money. If you remember Zacchaeus, he's the chief tax collector in Luke chapter 19. It says he was the chief tax collector and he was rich, <laughs> which tells you he was really good at his job, which means he was a big thief, It makes me wonder if whatever Ma Matthew or Levi, whatever he had hoped for in this path, whatever he thought he stood to gain from this way of living had started to wear thin. Like Rome only cared about what he could produce for them. He was estranged from his family. He was hated by society. He wasn't even allowed to go to church. And maybe he didn't care about any of that stuff. But you, if, if, if we sat down and I said, tell me some of the things that are the most important to you. Like if you get to the end of your life, you want to say, I had this and I had this and I had this and that made life worth living. What, what kind of answers would you give to that? I would venture to say, you would say things like, the most important things to me are things like family and friends and peace and love, being loved and in, in, in expressing love to others, right? You're not gonna say um, what's really most important to me is, is how many zeros are at the end of my bank account. Like on your, in your final breath, none of that matters, right? What matters, I have a friend who says, all of our wealth is in relationships. I think that's really true. So perhaps, Levi felt trapped by his own selfish desire. He had gotten into this, wanting to make a lot of money, he did it, and then he realized it ain't worth it. Maybe he wanted a fresh start, but, but he feels, I, I don't know how to get out of this. How do I just say to Rome, no, <laughs> right? How? He'd heard of Jesus, for sure he had heard of Jesus. Probably Jesus had walked by him multiple times by this point. And I have to imagine, again, this is my opinion, my imagination, this isn't God's word. I have to imagine that maybe Levi was silently wondering to himself, if Jesus ever stopped to look at me, I wonder what he'd say. If Jesus ever even gave me a glance, I wonder, I wonder what his posture would be towards me. How does he think of me? And then... Jesus notices him and he addresses him. And in the words of Jesus to Levi, there's no condemnation, there's no ridicule, there's no venom. Just two simple words follow me. Now, follow me is a loaded statement. It's only ever used in the gospels of Jesus's own disciples. And the word is akin to something like faith, have faith. In other words, trust in me, believe in me exclusively, right? He doesn't just mean follow after me, like get at the tail end of the line while I'm walking. It's like, I want your life to revolve around me. Follow me is a command, an invitation to put your hope, trust, faith, 
in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. And, and so here's the rub with that. To follow Jesus, to follow one path, has to mean forsaking the other. I think we probably all know by now, you cannot simultaneously walk two paths, okay? I saw a great analogy of this. I'm not gonna do it because I don't wanna fall, but I saw a pastor who put two big ladders on the stage and you know, ladders are A-frames, so they were side by side. So he started out with one foot on each ladder and then he went up a step and what's happening as he goes up the steps, his legs are getting further and further apart, right? And he got dangerously high in my opinion, about as high as Doug Van Wert was hanging those banners, I would say, on both ladders. As an illustration, you can't do this forever. At some point, you gotta choose one or the other or you're gonna fall to your death, right? And it's the same exact thing here. If you're gonna follow after Jesus, if you're gonna follow the path of Christ, you have to forsake the other path. You, you cannot hold on to them both simultaneously. And so Levi here, he sees Jesus, look right at him. And there's nothing but kindness and compassion and, and uh, not approval, not affirmation of Levi's sin. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's love, a love he's never known before. And Jesus says, follow me, follow my path, put your trust in me. And Levi in that moment counts the cost, responds, and instantly he is free. He's free. All of this stuff that's been bound up with him because of the choice that he made, not that there won't be consequences, but he's free. He, he belongs to Jesus now. Now look, some of you, some of you are, are wrapped up in things right now that you willfully, intentionally chose. You even loved them. but they've worn thin. And that is the deception of sin, isn't it? That it promises you the world and delivers to you death. There's not a single sin in this world that delivers on its promises. Sin is a liar because the father of sin is the devil and the devil's a liar. So some of you are wrapped up in things and you feel stuck and you don't know how to get free, how to get out. And I just, I want to reiterate to you this morning, you can be free. We, we are all, no matter, no matter your background, no matter what you've done, no matter what you drug in here with you, we are all just one prayer away from eternal redemption and freedom and forgiveness and belonging. You can be free today, and Jesus is calling you. He's calling every one of us to follow after him. Maybe you know someone who has, has made this willful choice and has walked down a path that is leading to their destruction, and, and would you just pray for them that God would give them an encounter with Jesus like Levi had, that he might, in some sense, make eye contact with the Lord, feel the love and, and, and the compassion of Jesus towards them and that they would choose to follow him and forsake whatever it is that they are, are wrapped up in right now. Um, Paul the Apostle, 
he, he used to be a Pharisee. He was a religious man. Um, he talks about some of this in Philippians 3. I just wanted to read a couple verses here um, because th- this, th- this is the heart of what Levi's doing. Um, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so even though Paul's circumstance was different because he was like, had accumulated a bunch of religious kind of accolades, he said, I, I forsake it all. I leave it all behind in order to pursue this call of Jesus. Jesus is calling me and, and I am following him and I'm forsaking what lies behind me. I wonder what Jesus might be calling you to forsake this morning in order to follow him. Okay, you guys with me? All right, I got about a third of the room. Good? Good, good. Um, let's look at the next verses, verses 15 to 17. And I want you to see here what I'm calling receiving and, and rejecting. Receiving and rejecting. So Jesus has called Levi to follow him. Levi follows him, and then he says this. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So uh, Mark's really wanting to get this point across. There were many, many tax collectors and sinners, many who followed Jesus, many were in this house. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So next thing, next thing we know, Jesus is at a party. Levi is throwing a big feast, and Jesus is his guest of honor. We also, in the parallel passage in Luke 5, it says that explicitly, that, Luke, uh, threw a, sorry, that uh, Levi threw a big feast for Jesus. And there's this large group of tax collectors and sinners that are invited, which makes sense because that's probably the only community that Levi had. Again, cast out of the synagogue, disgraced by his family, hated by society. The only other people that you're going to hang out with are people who are also despised like you. So, so he invites these tax collectors and sinners because he has experienced this freedom in Jesus and he wants to introduce his friends to freedom in Jesus as well. And they're all together and the text tells us that they're reclining at table, which is a, an intimate term. Um, you know, you, you could go sit down at Papa's and beer and, 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 and eat your meal and someone else is at another table and you don't ever see them or talk to them, right? But in the first century, when you would eat a meal, you sat, you, you literally reclined, the table was basically on the floor, you kind of laid on your side and, and it took hours and it was many courses and it was very deliberate and it was very slow and there's, there's many cultures today that still do meals like this. And so Jesus is there with them and, uh, and, and they're, they're sharing this feast together. And who is on the scene investigating and questioning? The scribes of the Pharisees. And I know this isn't how it really was, but I just, every time I read the Gospels, I imagine them like the people who pop up behind the fence, like with the binoculars. They're like always out to get people. They're like the sin police, you know? And so they just, they pop up everywhere. And, uh, and I don't know, they, they clearly didn't go into the house, which means they're outside the house, like looking in the window. 
Or they're probably going like, hey, I just happened to be walking by and noticed Jesus in there with tax collectors and sinners. When in reality, they were focused in, right? They were trying to, 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 to get him. Now, the Pharisee, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but the, the scribes of the Pharisees were the uber conservative religious folk, right? Their main pursuit was holiness, which is a great pursuit. And they were, they were well-respected by the community. They were looked up to. If the tax collectors were kind of the worst of the worst, then the Pharisees were the best of the best. That's, that's how they were revered in this society. Um, they, they, their problem was they saw sin as merely an external thing, which we looked at when they were kind of reinterpreted the laws last week when Jesus says he came to fulfill it, that they were actually the ones who were guilty of minimizing the law, even though they tried hard to keep all 613 commands. And so for them, the posture was, if you want to stay away from sin, stay away from sinners. It's like cooties, you know? I don't want to catch sin from these people, so I just will keep my distance from them. And they considered sinners to be people who did not uphold the law the same way that they did. So people who did not study the law, people who did not revere the law, people who were more influenced by the culture than the law, these were all sinners. Now there were tax collectors who were the worst, but then everybody else was basically sinners. And so here's their, here's their thought process. If Jesus really is from God as he claims, he should be coming to our house because we're something. We've, look at us. We're keeping all the laws. We're the righteous ones. And, and God blesses the righteous and he hates the wicked. So why is he hanging out with the wicked and not with the righteous? It didn't make sense to them. If Jesus really is from God, he should be coming to us, not to those people. Now, I wonder who those people are to you. Because here's the reality. The Pharisees believed this, not just because they were Pharisees, but because they were humans. And all of us have this natural bent to think that there is, there is some type of people out there who don't deserve God's mercy and grace, who are beyond redemption, who, who we should look down upon. So they level this question at Jesus really at his disciples. They don't even ask him personally. I, I just, again, I'm imagining here, they're walking by the house probably several times, you know, looking in the window, they see Jesus, they see Levi, they see other tax collectors and sinners. They got a list. They know who the, the known sinners are, you know? And, so, and then finally, at some point, one of the Pharisees like pss, pss, gets the attention of one of the disciples and calls him outside and he goes, hey, what's Jesus doing in there hanging out with those kinds of people? And Jesus, because he's Jesus, either overheard what they said or in earlier texts in Mark, we know that he could hear people's thought, like he knew people's thoughts. He chooses to address them directly. And I love his response. It is brilliant. He says, what good is a doctor who only hangs out with people that are healthy? Like, I mean, preventative care is one thing, right? But if you went to the doctor because you were sick and he turned you away because he's like, oh, I don't see sick people. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't think you know what a doctor means. Like, that's not, the point of doctors is to help people get better, not to just pat them on the back for being better, right? 
It doesn't make any, why, why would a doctor come and only spend time with people who are already healthy or who would disdain them? I saw this little article where a woman who worked in a doctor's office wrote a complaint like to the newspaper. This was back when people read and wrote newspapers, but she, she wrote and she said, uh, I work in a doctor's office and I'm just so frustrated at all these sick people who keep coming in with their diseases. If you're sick, stay home. <laughs> Which is like, <clears throat> probably doesn't work there anymore. But in the same way, Jesus says, the Messiah is not coming to pat people on the back for being righteous. The Messiah is coming because people need salvation, because people need redemption, because people need hope and healing that only the Messiah can provide. Yes, they're sinners. Of course they're sinners. That's why I'm here, Jesus is saying, to call them, to save them. Jesus, in other gospel accounts, is known as the friend of sinners, which means there was something about the kindness and the character of Jesus that attracted people to him. They wanted to be around him, and he did not affirm their sin. He did not turn a blind eye to their issues. You, you see the woman at the well, he, he talks to her, shows her kindness as an image bearer of God, but then calls out her stuff, right? Jesus does this with a lot of different people in the gospel accounts. He doesn't just turn a blind eye, which is a big deal because a lot of people miss that part. I remember having uh, lunch with a, a, a pastor, I'll use that phrase loosely, who, who came to this area to do ministry among largely homeless people. And I asked him, uh, like, what's your goal with these folks? Like, you wanting to get them off the street? You wanting to help them get out of addiction, whatever? And he said, um, he said, well, the way I read the gospel is Jesus just hung out with people. And I, and I didn't say this, but I wanted to be like, did you keep reading by chance? Because he did more than that, but the fact that Jesus came to call sinners. And that's what he said. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. The fact that Jesus came to call sinners is the best news that has ever been proclaimed because that means there is not anyone on this earth who does not qualify for Jesus's offer. No matter what you've done, no matter what your background, no matter how messed up you think your life is, we're all just one prayer away from redemption and forgiveness and belonging to God, which is what all of us long for. And here's the reality. We are all born sick with sin. It's in our bones. And sin is not just breaking God's laws, though it is that. It is every thought, every intention, every motivation of our heart that is contrary to the heart of God. Sin is this insatiable desire that all of us have to be our own God, to be our own savior, to be our own. And, and you think about like our first parents in the garden and how they kind of snubbed God's instructions and went their own way because the temptation to them was you will be like God. And that's every single one of us. It is cosmic treason against the creator of the entire universe. And there's not a single one of us in this room who doesn't stand guilty as charged on every single charge. 
The scribes and the Pharisees, however, are even more sick because they don't even see their need. They don't see their need for redemption because they think they can get themselves out of it. In fact, every other religion on this planet, and even our own hearts, are bent on self-justification. That is, um, here's what you must do in order to be acceptable. Whether that's religious rules or social rules, whether that's like, uh, you know, only watching G movies unless it's the Passion of the Christ and not listening to any secular music, or it's like driving an electric vehicle and recycling. We all have our religious rules, right? And, and those are the things that make us right with society, right with God, right with others, whatever. But here's the problem with that way of living. It's an outside-in righteousness. It's external conformity that makes us, we think, righteous on the inside. But that makes us radically insecure people. Because when we think we're doing it, when, when we think we've got our act together and we're following all the rules and everything's going great, we look down at everybody else who's not as righteous as we are. We snub our nose at them. We shun them. We go, I don't know what these people's problem is. Why can't they get their act together like I did? And we would never say that, but it's absolutely what we believe. On the other hand, it makes us shamefully superior. Sorry, shamelessly superior. Okay? Now, on the other hand, when we absolutely know we don't have our act together, it makes us shamefully inferior. And we hide, and, we, and, and we're just full of shame, and we're full of guilt, and we're, we're just, we, we distance ourselves from God and others because we think, well, there's no way I could ever get my act together. And we think we must in order to be accepted by God. Brothers and sisters, would you like some good news this morning? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives his absolute best to those of us who know we do not have our act together. Advent reminds us that it's in the middle of our foolishness and failure and sin and stupidity that God sent Jesus into the world to call sinners like us. Jesus came and dwelt among us. He took on human flesh. He identified with us in every one of our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but he, was, he never sinned like we do. He was the shining example of perfect humanity. And he did it for us because we never could. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus becomes the embodiment of sin. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the embodiment of sin for us so that we could be called the righteousness of God. He took all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our stupidity on himself, and he paid the ultimate penalty that is due for all of our failure. He absorbed all of God's just wrath on himself at the cross, paying that penalty and exchanging God's wrath towards sinners into God's favor towards sinners. And in his glorious resurrection from the dead, Jesus conquered sin, death, and hell. He returned that grave like a rented prom tux, and he gave us the right to be called the children of God by faith. 
So, the, so hear this. If you don't hear anything else that I say, hear this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a matter of cosmetic surgery. It is not a little nip and a tuck here to make good people look a little bit better. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great physician taking those who are dead in their sins and trespasses and making them alive in Christ. And other texts of the Bible tell us uh, that Jesus came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. What that means is Romans 2 says it's the kindness of God to us. Demonstrated in passages like this, the kindness of God extended to Levi through Jesus that invites us to repent, that, that it leads us to turn away from ourselves, to turn away from our sin, and to turn to Jesus because we know that in him we will find full and final forgiveness and healing and belonging. So there is hope for sinners like Levi. Listen, if the good news is not good news for Levi, it's not good news for any of us. So there's hope like Levi. There's hope for people like us, but only if and as we receive with empty hands the finished work of Jesus by faith. And I love that picture because, you know, Levi as a tax collector had his hands out all the time. (laughs) Pay up, right? But, but now he has the opportunity to open his hands and receive the gift of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for him. And you and I have that same opportunity. And listen, I know I'm talking to a lot of people who have walked with Jesus for a long time, and you might be thinking, well, this feels pretty evangelistic. It doesn't really apply to me. Here's how it applies. Advent is a season that is a perfect time to reflect on the salvation that has been given to you. See, Advent is not just about the coming of, of the birth of the little baby Jesus wrapped in a golden fleece diaper, right? This is, this, is about, this is about your redemption coming. This is about your salvation coming. This is about us remembering that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so as we reflect on the Advent season, let us reflect on the salvation that has been offered to us, the salvation that we have received by faith through his grace, the salvation that has changed us and continues to change us, that we stand in Christ redeemed, uh, viewed as perfect and sinless and above reproach because of what Jesus has done for us. We are the children of God, sons and daughters of the most high God by faith in the finished work of Jesus. This is why Jesus came, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So here's what we're going to do. I don't have questions for you this morning. Um, Maybe you can just stay seated and reflect on this glorious salvation that is yours in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. That even in your seat, you can quietly admit and confess to the Lord that you indeed are a sinner who needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And he invites you right now to follow him. And you can do that from your seat. But then we're going to take communion. And uh, communion is a a weekly offering here. Um, I know that's unusual for some of you who might think, you know, it could become rote or whatever. But but here's here's the beauty of communion. We are promised in the book of Revelation that Jesus has gone to prepare a feast for us. So, So Levi had this great banquet 
to celebrate what Jesus had done for him. Well, now Jesus, after his resurrection, has gone and he is preparing a feast for us. We are going to be his invited guests. Now, he will be the guest of honor. He will be, he's the host and the guest of honor. We just get to participate. But there's this glorious feast that is coming, that, that, that every time we come to the communion tables, we are being reminded of that promise. Though there are many trials and tribulations in this world, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And there's a day coming when we will feast with him for eternity. And like, it's going to be the best feast you've ever been to. Like, not, the best Christmas party you've ever gone to is a drop in the bucket compared to the feast that Jesus is going to offer us in eternity. Amen? And so we come with joy. We come with gratitude. We come in repentance. We come full of faith that, that this little piece of bread and this little dip in the cup are a reminder that there's a feast awaiting us with our great Savior and King. So I'll invite you to the tables. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can come participate in communion after our moment of silence. We'll start with the back row and work our way down. Um, as you make your way back to your seats, there are black boxes here and here. If you're a guest with us and want to be known, there's uh, connect cards you can fill out. If you, are, uh, if you need prayer, uh, you can fill that out on a card as well, or there'll be some folks down here at the end of the service who can pray for you. And then uh, the band's going to return and lead us in a couple songs we're going to sing our guts out because Jesus is worth it. Amen? We're going to respond in song and then we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for uh, your scripture, which means so much to us. Um, these, in this book are the words of life. And uh, we, we respond to that with, with faith. And so thank you for teaching us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that something that I said clicked in the souls of your people this morning. As we respond now in, in uh, communion, in giving, in singing, uh, would you fill us with faith and with joy in your presence? We love you. We thank you for this time together and ask now that as we respond, you would be glorified. We ask it in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's just be still for a moment. Uh, when I get up, the tables will be open.